Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We're talking about a modern romance and the church and us as Christians being the bride of Christ. So for the last few weeks, we've had, I think, some brilliant sermons, even if I do say so myself. We, the Lord is good. We've, we've looked at the bride ceremony, how the bride and the groom came together in biblical times and how that relates to us. And I just found that so encouraging to know how much Jesus loves me that he would pay the bride price for me. Then we looked at covenant and what that means and how God is covenanted to us and he gives us all of his resources and he takes all of our sin. And then last week we looked at the emotion and the just the engaged relationship that a bride and a groom have looking at the woman who broke the perfume jar and wept and poured it over Jesus feet and we contrasted that with dead religion and how the the marriage relationship of real Christians is one of emotion and expressiveness and today I want to tie it together by looking at the few little passages that we haven't covered yet that talk about us being the bride of Christ and I'm going to use the letters of the word bride, B-R-I-D-E. Uh, you might think James invented that technique. He didn't. He uses it a lot, but it's a very useful technique. And one of the main uses of me using B-R-I-D-E is that if you can spell, you know when I'm getting near the end of the sermon. So it's really helpful for you. So I'm going to start with the letter B which stands for body, but I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 5, starting from verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That is a high calling, that one. Boy, oh boy. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Imagine Christ giving himself for us, that's how husbands are supposed to love their wives. That he might sanctify, that means change her and make her better, and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself. That's a strange little phrase. Present her to himself. Who's the one walking her down the aisle? Oh, it's the same as the groom at the front. It's the same person that he might present her to himself uh, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. He is committed to washing us with water through the word and to make us beautiful for the wedding day. You know, when we got married, we got married at 11 a.m. and my wife got up at 7 a.m. and did her hair and her makeup and her friends and her sister and everybody got involved and they made her look amazing. I mean, she really did look amazing. But in our relationship with Jesus, he's there making us beautiful for himself. Isn't that amazing? He's involved. He's providing. It's like he's saying, hey, well, clean that bit up. Put this bit on here. Help this. Do this. Make this because he knows what is beautiful. 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I'm actually speaking about Christ and the church. He's, he's trying to talk to husbands and wives. He's trying to be practical and say, this is how husbands and wives should relate. But he keeps really reflecting back and changing his language and saying, actually, it's Jesus and the church. That's the big model that we're copying. And he says, husbands... And those of you who are male will relate to this. You love your body, don't you? Yes, you do. You love your comfort. You love your food. You love to look after yourself. And you love looking at yourself in the mirror. Don't lie. I know you do. You love it. But he said real love is loving your wife as much as you love your own body. So you care for her, you feed her, you protect her, you nourish her. In fact, he says, whoa, you are Jesus's body. It's not just like a metaphor. You actually are his body and he nourishes you and he cares for you and he protects you and he looks after you and he won't let anything harm you and he's making you beautiful. But it's this word body, and this is the B, the first letter of our, of our little talk today, is that you cannot be the bride of Christ on your own. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. We live in an individualistic world where it's all about me. What makes me better? What improves my life? Who will look after me and make me feel good? Let me go to where my needs are met. Me, 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 me. And we come into the body of Christ, and he says, it's not about you. It's about the group, the church, the family, the body, and you are important, but you are only one part of the body, and you cannot be part of the body of Christ on your own. Not, not an organization, not a hierarchy, not a structure like the world says, a real living, breathing body, a functioning church where there's life and relationships, and we're, we're on a mission together, and we're full of the passion of God. And we are blessed in our church. We're not the only ones. We're not the best ones. But we are blessed to have what we have. Right. The next letter is R. And it stands for ready. I'm going to read from Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. What's this talking about? Do you remember from our previous talks that the, the bride and group get betrothed, but then he goes away to build a house for her and she keeps herself separate and prepares for marriage. And then after a year, he comes running through the darkness at about midnight. She's not sure exactly which day he's coming. So she's ready every day. But then one day he comes through the darkness. His friends shout, he's coming. And suddenly the, the ladies get ready and they trim their lamps and they go and stand outside with their lamps waiting for him so that as he runs through the darkness, he'll come to where the lamps are and he'll take the bride. And then they'll have the big marriage supper together and the, the final celebration of getting married a year after they were first betrothed. Just beautiful. We're living in that year, friends, 
And you know where Jesus is? John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. He's there now preparing, and very soon he's going to come. Very soon. We're going to hear the trumpet and the shout from heaven, and they're going to say, he's coming, and those who are his bride, not those who call themselves Christian, his real bride will rise up and we'll meet our groom in the air. It's an extraordinary event that's going to happen. I believe very soon. But he says, he tells a parable, there were ten virgins who were ready for the bridegroom. Well, they thought they were. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight... A cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Friends, everybody in this story had been a Christian at some stage. They had a lamp and they had oil in it, which means they had the Holy Spirit in them. They were Christians at one stage, but five of them let their Christianity become an outward shell, an outward religious show, and there was no life in them, and it only got shown at the end when Jesus came, and there was no reality to their relationship. And my plea to us is don't think you're ready just because you're in a group called Christian or church. Is your relationship with Jesus al alive and vital and real? Have you got the oil of God in you? And you say, how do I know if I've got the oil? Because you talk to him every day. Because his Holy Spirit is filling you every day. Because he's leading you and guiding you. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. It's not because your name's on a list. Amen. It's not because you got confirmed or you live in a Christian family or you go to church every Sunday. There's got to be the oil of God's life inside of you. And my question is, are you asleep or are you ready? Are you ready? If he were to come today, would you be ready? You say, how do I get ready? You know, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said that he gave a little picture of an earthly little boy going to his dad and saying, Daddy, please can I have some bread? Such a, a real picture. We can imagine it. A little boy. Daddy, please can I have some bread? He said, if your child came to you and asked for bread, would you give them a snake or a scorpion? No. You would give them what they wanted. He said, in the same way, your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. You just say, Daddy, fill me again with your Spirit. He floods in. He floods in. Sometimes we have to break the shell of pride where we think that we're great and we have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've allowed my heart to get hard and I've allowed my relationship to get distant. 
but he floods in with his oil. And oil brings healing, oil brings light, oil brings life and power. We were camping in the mountains in the east of Zimbabwe, and we arrived late at night. Uh, when I say camping, it was a little cabin. It wasn't luxurious. There was no electricity, but it was a wooden cabin. And we went in and we lit the lamps. There were lamps there which are supposed to have oil inside of them to make a light come on. But the lamps didn't have any oil in them. And so when you lit the wick, the, the rope wick, it lit, but there was just plumes of black smoke because it was actually the rope that was burning instead of the oil from within the lamp that was supposed to be burning. And so the room was filled with black smoke. There was a little bit of light, but it was just dirty and smelly. And so we quickly got some oil, we filled the lamps, and suddenly a clear, pure light shone out and there was no smoke. And we could have light in the room. Friends, there are many of us who are trying to go through the motions of Christianity. You're trying to pray, you're trying to obey, you're trying to witness, you're trying to put on the outward appearance of Christianity, but there's no oil. You're just burning your own wick. And as a result, there's just plumes of black smoke. There's antagonism, there's anger, there's conflict with other Christians. There's a bitterness of saying, why do I have to work so hard when so-and-so doesn't? Do they even appreciate me? That's a sign that you're not burning with the oil of God. You've got to burn with God's oil because then there's more than enough to go around. And then you're giving out of the overflow of your life when you do ministry instead of giving out of the last little dregs of what you had left over. Get filled. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Get alive with God so that when the bridegroom comes, you are fully ready. It's not a surprise to you when you see him because you saw him this morning when you were praying to him. Amen? Right. B-R-I. I stands for in the harvest field. In the harvest field. And I'm going to need you to do a little bit of a shift in your brains with me on this one. I'm going to use the book of Ruth. In the Old Testament book of Ruth, there was a lady called Ruth who was from Moab, which was not an Israelite country. But she married an Israelite man. And then he died and her mother-in-law took her back into the nation of Israel and she is now back in Israel. She's poor. They've had to sell their fields. They've got nothing left and they're relying on the kindness and the mercy of other people. And it starts with Ruth coming back into the promised land and her mother, Naomi, says to her, go into the harvest field because as they are harvesting, they are dropping a little bit of their wheat or barley or whatever it is, and you can pick it up, you can glean, and you'll get food for us. That's how poor she was. It starts in the harvest field. The next chapter, chapter 3, Naomi says to Ruth, make yourself look nice. Go and find where Boaz is. This was the man who they realized was the right one for, for Ruth. Go and find where he is. And lie down and just cover the edge of his blanket over your feet so that when he wakes up, he sees. Because that was her way of saying, I want you to be my husband. And in chapter 4, Ruth finds Boaz. But you know where he is? I'm going to have to read it to you because it's so beautiful. Ruth chapter 3. 
Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. And he married her. And then chapter 4. So chapter 1 is them losing their field. Chapter 2 is her working in the field and gleaning from the, what others dropped. Chapter 3 is her finding him in the field with his harvest. And she asks him to marry her. And then chapter 4, part of the marriage process is he has to buy back the field that Naomi and Ruth had lost. And he buys it back from another relative who's an evil relative who just wants to get and doesn't want to give. But I want you to see that the husband, Boaz, is in the field in every chapter of Ruth. And Ruth is in the field in every chapter of Ruth. And the field is the harvest, the world out there where there are lost people who Jesus died for that he's trying to reach. And my point is this. If you are the bride of Christ, you're with your husband and your husband is in the harvest field. We've got to this weird situation where people get saved in the harvest field. So they, they've lost everything. They come to Christ, to the church, and they're looking, and they, they're getting to see how beautiful Jesus is in the harvest field, and they're even picking up the gleanings. They're benefiting from the church. Maybe some Christians are helping them, being kind to them, providing for their needs, praying for them, loving them. They're picking up the gleanings. They're saying, wow, I'm enjoying this. And a time comes where they give their lives to Jesus. They say, Lord, yes, I accept your proposal. I want to be married to you in the harvest field. But then they move to chapter 4 and they think, now I don't want to be in the harvest field anymore. I want to be in my own little holy huddle with other Christians only, where we're all like-minded, where we never care about the lost out there, and it's all just internal, inward-focused, navel-gazing. And I want to say to you that your husband is in the harvest field, and if you are the bride of Christ, you should be there too. You know, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them, and I am with you to the end of the age. And we weirdly think that means whatever I do, Jesus is with me. If I go and sin, Jesus is with me. If I go and just be with other Christians, Jesus is with me. If I just focus on my own business, Jesus is with me. No, he said, when you're going and making disciples of all nations, then I'm with you to the end of the age. He's in the harvest field. If we are his bride, we need to be there too. It's so important. I really want to just shake the church and say, where is your husband? He's out there. He's out there. He's out there dropping gleanings so that the world can find out. He's out there buying fields so that people can come to know him. He's out there rescuing people in the harvest field and, and pulling the barley and the grain in. And if you are his bride, you will have a passion and a care and a concern for the lost. And if you haven't, if it's all about you and your needs and other Christians, and you think church is all just an internal club, there's a good chance you've missed the boat because your husband is out there in the harvest field. Quite a strong one. Right, last, second last one. D, dressed. Revelation 19. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. So we're getting a glimpse into heaven of the marriage supper. Friends, I want to tell you, this marriage supper is going to be amazing. Think about the best Christmas meal you've ever had with your family. It's nothing compared to this. Think about the best party you've ever been to, where you were with your friends and you were just having such a good time. There was laughter, there was food, there was enjoyment, there was good music. That's nothing compared to this. Think about the closest relationship you've ever had in your earthly life with another human being or with a family. That is nothing compared to the joy of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Nothing, nothing compared to it. Fulfillment, forgiveness, joy, no regrets, every tear and pain wiped away, no more sorrow or suffering. Suddenly an understanding of all those things we struggle to understand here on earth. Fellowship, closeness, it's all okay. Everything was worth it. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed or dressed, de-dressed, in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. She's dressed in fine linen. Can I give you a picture that I want to put deep in your heart and mind that I hope will stay there? He gives you a white robe when you get saved, but you embroider it with threads of gold and silver and you add decorations and you add other parts to the dress. And as much as you do for him and add to that white robe that he gives you, that's how beautiful you'll be on your wedding day when we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's up to you. He gives you the ability to do it. It says it was granted to them to be arrayed in fine linen. And yes, he gives you the gifts, the opportunities, the strength, the grace, the power, everything you need to do it. But you've got to do it. He gives you a white robe. But now let's make it a beautiful gown. Let's be dressed. Let's be dressed. 1 Corinthians 13 says that many people will get saved at the end, at the judgment day, and have nothing to take with them into heaven. It says some people will build with wood, hay, straw, and stubble, just earthly silly things. All their time, all their money, all their energy, all their emotion was spent on temporary earthly things, selfish pleasures, pointless things, unimportant things. But some people built with silver, gold, and precious stones. Those are the things that will last forever. When you pray for an hour and you really intercede, when you give sacrificially to the poor or to God's work, when you go out and you sacrifice and you suffer to help somebody else, when you witness when you feel uncomfortable and embarrassed, when you, when you put up with a, a conflict and you take the humble position and you say, I'll, I'll be humble and I'll let you 
um, I'll let you think you're right. All these things that we do are building for the kingdom, and those are the gold and the silver that we weave into our dress. And can I just ask you, what are you doing for the Lord? What are you doing? What are you adding to your dress for the Lord? I really think it's worth us taking stock and saying, in my past life, how much have I done that will last after I die? And in my future life, what can I do? How can I rearrange my time, my focus, my interests, my energies? You know, the other thing is the bride is supposed to look different to the rest of the, the population. In that year between being betrothed and the marriage supper, she's supposed to look different. She's supposed to be separate. Everyone should know she's betrothed. She's getting ready for marriage. Friends, are you different to the world? Do people at work know that you're a Christian? If you got arrested and the charge was you are being charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you are a Christian? Or are you just the same as everybody else? We are supposed to be different. Those righteous robes that get shown off at the wedding day are supposed to be evident even now before the wedding day. We're supposed to look and act differently. Amen? And then lastly, E stands for expressive, emotional, engaged, enthusiastic. I've said this throughout the series and James said it brilliantly last week. There is a difference between dry, formal religion and a real relationship with Christ. And the difference is what we saw in last week's story. Simon the Pharisee was formal, he was polite, he did all the right things, he had a gathering to honor Jesus. Jesus came and sat down and they were having nice polite conversation and they were serving the food in a polite way. That's what dead religion is like. It's polite and it's it's acceptable and it looks understandable and normal. It's, it's kind of ritualized and formalized. We go through the motions, we say the words, but the heart is not engaged. And then this woman comes in and she's undone. Her hair gets undone. For a woman to take her hair out and, and let it loose in those days was unheard of in public. She takes her hair out. She cries and blubs. She pours out oil. She starts wiping his feet with her hair. She's just crying and worshipping and loving him because there is an emotion within her. And I want to say, if your Christianity is just formal rituals and going through the motions, there is a good chance you are not part of the bride of Christ. Because anyone who is married to Jesus loves him passionately. And they're willing to do crazy things for him and sacrifice in a crazy way and be embarrassed and humiliated in public and do whatever it takes. You'll see tears running down cheeks. You'll see people falling on their knees or lifting their hands or, or, or going out of their way and doing things that are not logical. And you say, why are they doing that? It's because of the passion inside of them for their husband. So friends, are you part of the bride of Christ? It's a body. It's not an individual bride 
It's a body. You've got to be in a church of people who you share the passion and the visions and the values with and you're working together and you're committed to each other. You've got to be ready. There's got to be a readiness, not a, a, a previous Christianity from years ago. It's got to be alive. You've got to be in the harvest field and reaching who he's reaching. You've got to be dressed with righteous acts and you've got to be emotionally engaged and expressive with him. And if that is the case, boy, there is no better place to be because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We walk around just like the rest of the population, doing everything they're doing. They think we're a bit different, but they don't realize my mind is on my husband. My mind is on the wedding ceremony to come. My mind is on our life that we're building together. My mind is not on these earthly silly things. I have a different passion. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.